0: Holdco's are hot. The idea of buying and holding multiple businesses is an alluring one for many acquisition entrepreneurs, so it's always fun to speak with someone actually doing it. Trevor Bame is an operating partner at Saturn V, which I hadn't heard of but has been quite active the last few years, acquiring small businesses in Colorado and Texas. They've got 15 acquisitions under their belts. Everything from landscaping to nursery and garden centers to concrete and paving to whitewater rafting tourism. Their history is also interesting. This is another set of entrepreneurs who moved away from tech and toward traditional small businesses. Lots of important themes in my conversation with Trevor. What makes a good owner-operator of a small business? Why quote-unquote boring businesses are anything but? And advice to other entrepreneurs who want to build a holdco. That and much, much more with Trevor Bame of Saturn V. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Wouldn't it be great to have experts at your back when buying a business? People to help you polish up your pitch and processes as you go to market as a searcher, then help you evaluate opportunities once you get some deal flow. Such experts exist, buy-side advisors, but they'll cost you to the tune of tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars. But another option exists, the acquisition lab. The lab is a do-it-with-you buy-side advisory service, not do-it-for-you. Founded by Walker Dybel, author of Buy Then Build, the lab represents Walker's vision for what is most needed to make a searcher successful and available at an accessible price. It's cohort-based, and you will come out the other side of your cohort prepared to go to market as a savvy searcher with a tight message and process so brokers take you seriously, pre-approved for a loan, and with an entire community at your disposal to help you along the journey to buying a business. To learn more, check out acquisitionlab.com, link in the show notes. Trevor Bame, welcome to Acquiring Minds. Thanks for having me. Trevor, you're an operating partner at Saturn V. Saturn V is an acquirer and operator of small businesses, an SMB holdco, really. Holdcos are hot and a dream of many acquisition entrepreneurs, so I'm sure my audience is as eager as I am to learn what you and your partners are up to. Before we get into that, though, Trevor, how about some background on you first, please?
1: Yeah, happy to share. I have been an operator of small businesses or early-stage venture uh, for the last decade plus, um, and then an investor as well. My background originally was not in the world of small business, entrepreneurship at all. It was in uh, writing and uh, international development, and I kind of stumbled my way into into building companies, first a, as an agency, a small business that was focused on content development, and uh, and then into the venture and startup world, and ran a social commerce company, and eventually stepped into the accelerator investor world, uh, worked with a social venture accelerator, and eventually got brought into the, the, the bigger accelerator named Techstars and, and worked there for several years, investing in um, 40, 50 companies, and uh, through that process, started to think about the kind of more broader Main Street economy, uh, the opportunity within small business, the, um, the, the big transition that was happening uh, from the baby boomer generation and um, some of the opportunity there. And, and that's what uh, kind of really sparked my journey into the SMB acquisition world and, and, uh, and then my journey at Center 5.
0: Great. Well, I love talking to people who have been in in or around tech and have found their way to to the world of SMB. Um, probably just egoistically, because that's kind of been my own my own path. But uh, I just think it's also interesting because tech is supposed to be where you know all the sexy appeal is, and uh, and so if SMB is strong enough to draw people's attention away from tech, I I, I want to hear their story. Okay, so. How did, so then your involvement with Saturn V, what is Saturn V, take us from there?
1: Yep. Saturn V is a family of enduringly profitable companies. We uh, have an aspiration of working with usually legacy-minded owners, uh, purchasing their companies, and then working with them to take care of their employees and, uh, and take care of their customers. And we're a long-term hold model, so the the vision is to have these companies for uh, the long haul, and to partner with great leaders uh, to then um, operate and grow those companies. So we're about 15 uh, small businesses to date, and uh, the majority of them are based in the Colorado area, but uh, we're focused nationally, uh, especially more recently. And uh, our team is based in both Colorado and Texas. I'm, I'm in Austin, Texas, most of our team's in, in Denver.
0: Well, and give us some of the history on Saturn Five because it didn't start out as a operator and holder of uh, of small businesses.
1: You got it. Yeah, our original vision was more of a venture studio model. So we we started with uh, an aspiration to launch big, uh, sort of sexy, you know, systemic change, kind of world changing ventures, and uh, and the idea was well. We'll launch these ventures and, uh, and kind of see them off into the world. Uh, but the challenge of that model is that it's it's pretty difficult to, uh, to fund in the short term. So even if you've got something that really works, it's going to take a long time before you start to see meaningful return from those companies. So uh, our solution to that problem was, well, we'll go buy a cash-flowing, more traditional, services-based, kind of boring small business. And that'll kick off cash and that'll pay for the day-to-day operations of the venture studio and it'll be perfect. And uh, what we figured out as we got into it uh, is that the these kind of boring cash flowing, you know, what was supposed to be the sort of side thing was actually really interesting. Uh, there was from a risk adjusted basis, the returns are really attractive from uh, a just an opportunity perspective. There's a lot of interesting businesses that are that are, you know, going to be seeking a sale just because of the generational dynamics, and there's a lot of opportunity for uh, for real kind of social community impact. If you think about mm-hmm. you know the the you know the the impact that you can have on on your employees' lives and the sort of the local community that you're tied to, there's a lot to play with there. And I think all of those things were attractive to us, and uh, and really started guiding or pulling our attention until. Uh, until more and more, you know, of our activity has been focused that way, and now that's that's really what the bulk of our our focus is on.
0: And, and just so people have a sense, you you still have a couple of the traditional, or the um, what was traditional for you guys ventures, right? But only about five or ten percent of your activity is there, and fully ninety percent is 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 doing the SMB acquiring and, and operating.
1: Yeah, the bulk of our focus is on um, acquiring and operating small businesses, and uh, we have done some early stage investments in the past and, um, and still have a portfolio of that. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And Trevor, did you all hear about capital S search or entrepreneurship through acquisition ETA, or did you kind of learn about, you know, the, the opportunity that all of this presents on your own by sniffing around?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. Our, our team, All kind of comes at this journey from different places. Uh, Some have been uh, in the small business buying and selling company world for a long time, and that's kind of where they where they've cut their teeth. Um, Some of us have, like myself, are are pretty recent to it, um, and have discovered it only in the last few years. Uh, And then one of our another partner of ours, one of our founding partners, uh, Max has. Uh, he took he took the um, HBS course that was focused on um, on buying a business um, years sure. ago back when he was in um, he was in business school. And so I think that was when some of his first sort of inclinations of the opportunity came in. so it's it was really quite a mix. We Some of us knew about it and have sort of learned about and and were were attracted to the world by some of the kind of early thinkers and and doers in this space. and then Others have just sort of backed into it. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And you, you keep referring to us and we, you've now mentioned Max, um, but who, who is who is kind of the, the, the team or the, the brain trust here that's, that is Saturn V?
1: Yeah, good question. So we're a small team uh, that, that's focused both across the, the deal acquisition side and uh, portfolio management founded by uh, two people, uh, Max Anderson and, and Evan Loomis. And uh, we're pretty collaborative, so we'll, we'll work both um, in supporting the leaders of our companies, and then uh, finding and doing new deals. It's important to note, just as a as our hold kill model, uh, the the way that it works is we collaborate with or partner with leaders who are um, embedded in the companies that are operating them on a day to day basis. So they're really kind of the front lines, day to day operations of the companies, and and. Um, I end up getting way more, you know, operationally involved. I think we all do, you know, than, than you might um, imagine or expect, which I actually love. Um, but it's, it's really those CEOs that are, that are managing and executing
0: on the day-to-day and that make the businesses work. Well, we're going we're gonna to dive pretty deeply into that, but I'm going to put a pin in it for the moment. Um, obviously, doing the Holdco model is all about finding leaders, good leaders to run, run your businesses, and, and that's a common bottleneck we'll return to it. Uh, I, I do want to ask just about your evolution from tech Saturn five own uh, evolution at, from a venture studio. You, um, why didn't you guys see the traditional raising VC as the answer to funding a startup that was getting traction?
1: Well, it is, is, is the short answer, but the, um, as a venture studio, the way that you can participate in some of that um, funding is you know is different. So um, so the the venture itself, right, can can pursue venture funding and and that's easy to go out and sell, you know, from like a, a fundraising perspective. Um, but the venture studio is a is a kind of a different a different thing. So yes. we we definitely, you know, our the ventures that that we have either launched or um or made investments into have gone on to raise additional venture capital, um, some of which um, su- substantial amounts of it. Uh, but but as we think about how do we then do that on repeat, right? Launch these uh, and, you know investments over and over again. Um, what keeps what pays our salaries, right, from totally. a day to day basis? Yeah. And
0: yeah, okay, right, yeah, because unlike a Holdco, co, where you know an SMB, one of the SMBs is probably sending some of its cash up to headquarters. In a venture studio, that's not going to be happening. Likely, at least, yeah, not in the early days.
1: Yeah, there's a bunch of different models, but yeah, you're yeah right. Like you don't have the the same kind of um, cash flow uh, dynamics that you do yeah. right, in in small businesses. And so startups are are cash, um, you know, vacuums. Right, <laughs> they, like they they suck right. cash right. Um, instead of instead right. of the opposite. Right, instead of kicking them off. Yeah.
0: Uh, and I want to hear, uh, you said something to me on our pre call about how, what you kind of your opinion of startups these days as opportunities. Do you recall? August Felker is a two time successful searcher. First with a traditional search fund, the second time around, he did a self funded search. Today, August runs Oberly Risk Strategies. An insurance firm with a dedicated practice group for searchers and acquisition entrepreneurs like you. If you've got a business under LOI, Oberly will provide complimentary due diligence on that business's insurance and benefits program. A great no risk way to get to know August and team. They love helping searchers, they've worked with hundreds. Oberly is a specialty insurance brokerage for searchers by a former searcher. Check out Oberly risk.com. O-B-E-R-L-E hyphen risk.com link in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, How, how, how How do you feel about, you know, your, your buddy going off and doing a startup? What would you tell said buddy?
1: Yeah, and I've said this for for years. Even when I spent a lot more time in the in the startup world, and the general advice I would give with talking with early, particularly sort of early aspiring entrepreneurs, and this is not intended to discourage uh, the the right people from, and by right I mean sort of the. Um, audacious and ambitious and, and crazy enough, right, to, to actually do it. But, but what I usually say is it, it's a bad idea, right? It's like starting a company, especially a, a, an early stage um, venture backable company, is a, it's a crazy endeavor. It, 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 just, it does not make sense from a, a pure kind of probabilistic standpoint. And, and it's also miserable. Like just from, a, from an emotional, sort of psychological standpoint, it, it is an extremely taxing uh, experience. And I think anyone who's actually been you know, been in it or is honest right, to, uh, to others who have been in it will, will reflect that that is a fundamental part of the dynamic. Right? There, there are lots of high highs, and it can be beautiful, and the returns can be phenomenal, but there are also lots of low lows. And uh, and more likely than not, right, the business is going to fail uh, because that is the default. I heard someone say this this to me years ago. That the default state of a startup is death, right? And so you're constantly right. just trying to like inject cash and energy into it to try to get it out of right to get it into, um, you know, out of the gravitational pull right of of death and sort of into uh, orbit or, or or beyond. And uh, so uh, for alive. all those. Yeah, that's right. Default try to life. Exactly. default to life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and so that's that's a um, you know that's a hard that's a hard undertaking. And for some, they don't have any other sort of way or or path uh, to pursue. So it's kind of like they don't have a choice. Right? They're just so they're so burdened either by their by the thing that they know, the opportunity that they see. Um, or they have something driving them, you know, that pushes them into that kind of, um, you know, that that's sort of special version of insanity. Um, and so I, I, I guess that's the kind of the high level of it. I think the other piece here is that, um, uh, you know, speaking about venture specifically, which is its own kind of part of the world, right? There's, there are startups and then there are venture-backed startups and, and um, they each have their own pluses and minuses. I think there's a, a huge amount of opportunity and, and interesting work and meaningful work happening in the in the in the VC world. I think a lot of a lot of what uh, entrepreneurs and, and even investors have become to realize over the last several years is that not every company uh, is a good fit for uh, for venture funding right? and um, and in fact many many aren't right and, and so we we can push. Um, we can push a particular narrative right, on, a, on a particular opportunity or a particular entrepreneur that may not suit it. You know, is this company really right. going to become, you know, a billion dollar, a $10 billion, a $100 billion company? Um, and it probably doesn't need to, right, to see really meaningful outcomes. If, if, you, set, if you set your expectations, right, if, if, you, if you raise capital in a way that's, um, that's sort of thoughtful, right, on each stage of the journey, then you can see a really meaningful outcome. Uh, for for the people that are involved that doesn't have to hit those kind of stratosphere
0: numbers right right yeah so we're talking about new ventures that um, right. aren't going to be the next uber but could still be completely viable companies maybe they're just you know 50 million companies 50 million dollar companies as opposed to you know five billion dollar companies uh, and that's a pretty great outcome uh, it's just it's it just doesn't it just doesn't um, give the, the the VCs the economics they need for their, you know, invest in, you know, a portfolio of 20 startups, 19 fail, and one is a giant success. Like that's their model. Sure. Yep. Trevor, returning back to Saturn V now. So you g- give us a sense now of scale, H- how many companies are in the portfolio again, please. And then you said it and then give us a sense of kind of, um, how long have you been at this? How many acquisitions are you doing a year? I'll stop there. So, how many? How many in the portfolio?
1: Yeah, fifteen companies, small businesses in, in the portfolio to date. Uh, we've started in twenty seventeen, but have been much more active over the last few years, and, and are pretty active right now. So, um, we're in active acquisition mode right now. I don't, don't know exactly how many deals we'll do, but um, we're we're definitely active in terms of. Um, Uh, doing more deals, bringing more companies into the portfolio. And uh, just to give you a sense of the type of company, we tend to focus on more services based, which you think of as as kind of traditional, um, potentially traditional search type companies. So uh, we're we're industry agnostic, but we have a handful of companies in the landscaping and construction spaces, uh, like landscaping, installation, Commercial and residential. Uh, We've got um, nursery and garden center, and uh, and we have some businesses in the adventure tourism space as well. So whitewater rafting, um, ATV tours, and um, snowmobile
0: tours. Fifteen is um, that's a pretty sizable portfolio. Can you give us a sense of what your target size is for acquisitions?
1: Yeah, yeah, we target. Uh, So we we look at businesses on an EBITDA basis. We're looking at profitability. And uh, from one to five million is usually what we target.
0: And how are, do you find that they're, like, are you developing a playbook with, you know, with 15 15 turns at bat at this point? um, Are you seeing patterns? Are you developing some sort of, you know, special sauce to to improve these legacy businesses and grow them? Um, or is each one, you know, small businesses so, so med- messy and idiosyncratic that that each one, you know, is its own adventure?
1: Yes to all of the above. Uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'd say one of the biggest things we are, we are learning and, and um, aspiring to get really good at is how we can be value add both to the, you know, the companies and the teams that, Uh, we partner with uh, when we, when we buy these businesses, businesses, but also the leaders, you know, that we're partnering with who lead them. So how do we become a community of support um, that allows them to do uh, what they do best and, and really execute on taking care of their customers and, um, and building their, their companies, how that plays out um, is, is definitely a, you know, a, a constant learning experience and, and can be very different depending on each individual, each individual business. So we're, we focus a lot on how we might uh, first do no harm. When we we first buy a company, we know that um, there's a lot more that we don't know than there is that we do know. And uh, and there's a lot of opportunity to uh, break things. You know, you you think about this idea of enduringly profitable companies. well, they're, they've been enduringly profitable for a long time, and uh, and, and the only variable that will have changed right, once you've you've bought them is you, right? Like you're you're the new thing that just got um, entered into this uh, somewhat stable, um, resilient system. And so, being aware of your own likeliness or likelihood, excuse me, to um, you know to cause harm rather than cause or create growth, I think is is the first biggest challenge. And so, we tend to be pretty. Uh, cautious in those first uh, few months, even you know through the year and, and beyond, to say let's make no major changes right away, uh, unless we have to, right? Because we really want to make sure we understand you know the particular dynamics of this business, and then once we do, then we can start to look at where are the levers for growth and how do we exercise those in a in a thoughtful way, you know, that that allows us to play the long the long game.
0: Yeah, yeah. The. Um, it, it, the geography in which you operate you said you're you're based in austin Uh, a lot of the folks are based in colorado denver uh, typically to do a search and to find a great search candidate you know a searcher or not typically but often they need the tighter the geography the less likely it is they'll find good opportunities for obvious reasons good opportunities are rare and if you if you narrow that down even further geographically it's going to become even harder you all appear to have done that quite successfully, uh, operating primarily, really, in, in two markets, Texas and Colorado, and you've acquired fifteen businesses. So, um, square that circle for me.
1: I, I think that, or I wonder that this the the assumption that constraining yourself geographically is a um, is a hindrance, it's a disadvantage, is actually there's there. There are reasons for which that is true, and there are other reasons for which um, it it maybe is not as true as you might think it is. Um, when you start to dig deep into a, a single geography, you start to build uh, greater relationships. You start to understand the uh, the dynamics and the opportunities within that market. You start to um, know people, right? You like you, yeah. you know you know, brokers, you know, sellers, you know, bankers, you know, you know, all kinds of, you know, groups that, that really start to form their own version of kind of direct or proprietary search. Um, and, uh, and I think for all of those reasons, it, it can be really uh, beneficial to go deep um, in a given place. And uh, one of the things that we, um, you know, that another, another kind of common, you um, Requirement for the traditional search model is that you're you're looking all across the nation and exactly um, and I we think there are a lot of leaders and a lot of opportunities right, for which that um, if you were to focus yourself geographically um, you could find some great companies right and you could partner with some great leaders who maybe don't have as much flexibility and so we like the opportunity to say you know we don't um, we can focus directly on the on the geography we need uh, or the geographies we like but then we also have the opportunity to work with a leader who Wants to stay in their geography um, and knows it really well, um, or if we find something that's national and, and it looks great, awesome, we'll go there.
0: Trevor, the businesses that you've acquired these fifteen are they generally selling? Are the, are the sellers generally retiring, or yeah, is it is it the the baby boomer retiring phenomenon in general, or are there other are there other reasons why people are selling to Saturn Five?
1: We often work with retiring owners. Uh, and sometimes that will be a, um, a a kind of quick transition, but sometimes it'll be a longer one where we'll work with a, an owner has the aspiration to retire over a certain period of time and uh, and then we'll work with them you know, in the business for two, three, five years right over a period. so but but generally, uh, most of these companies are run by owner operators who have been, in the business for 10, 20, 30, you know, 40 years. And this is the legacy that they've built and um, they're looking for a way to make sure that that's, um, that's cared for. And, um, while also seeing, you know, this is kind of their nest egg and, um, and their opportunity for retirement. So, um, our hope is that we're able to partner with them and, and, um, offer a little bit of both of those things.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, what is the overall strategy? Is it, is it kind of a permanent equity model? Just hold on to every acquisition indefinitely? Never say never, um, but essentially an indefinite hold period? You got it. Uh-huh. Okay. And investors are obviously... Recognize that. Uh, I mean, typically, why you find that model less is because investors want to see you know their their capital returned after seven years in a traditional private equity model. But you have found your investors or investor investor capital out there that's open minded to this kind of being locked up for an indefinite amount of time and then just receiving dividends on all these acquisitions again indefinitely.
1: Yeah. So there is a. Uh, I think there's a big opportunity actually in in thinking about. The, it's the same structure, I guess, or, or opportunity that owner operators think about. That um, I think is is likely true um, from an investment standpoint, which is um, there aren't a lot of opportunities where you get kind of predictable uh, or, or or ongoing right, returns on an investment that you make. And um, and I think these what's what's beautiful about small businesses, and I think this is something that family offices have known for a long time, is um, you know, holding these assets can provide, um, you know, a meaningful stream of, of returns while also sort of maintaining the underlying value of what you have. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Okay, Trevor, let's get into the operations of each of these. So you just touched on the fact that some of the, the seller operators will stay in the business for a number of years. Um, so that kind of answers the question for those businesses. They, you're, you know, you basically have the operators stay, so you don't have to go find somebody to manage them. What are you doing in the case where uh, the the seller owner? wants to step out and hand the keys over to you and and walk away. And just as an asterisk, the the way that you and I met is I saw a post on SearchFunder by you looking to hire operators. So maybe I've just answered my own question. You hire somebody in there. But but, but, but uh, talk talk me through how you guys think about this. And, and am I correct in thinking that finding operators is really one of the key bottlenecks of building a, a holdco?
1: yeah that's right and i'll I'll start with that last question first, which is when you think about how to do a model like ours well, you have to you really have to have three things the first is you have to have capital to buy companies. The second is you have to have companies to buy right? and the third is you have to have leaders uh, people to operate those companies because uh, I can't physically be at um, you know a, a nursery and on the job of you know, some construction site and uh, you know, in the sales floor, um, somewhere else, all at the same time. And of those three things, the the people side, the leaders, are definitely the most um, difficult, as well as I think the, the present the biggest opportunity uh, for for growth and um, for impact. So we think about our um, the the people we partner with, right? The CEOs of those companies as our our greatest asset and the thing that we want to um, develop and invest in the most and that can happen in a few different ways so you mentioned um, hiring operators externally and and it is definitely something that we are doing and and are um, looking to do more of in the future and that can come up in two ways one is in existing portfolio companies that we have uh, we can we can place them into one of our current companies where they can jump, kind of, uh, hit the ground running you know, into an existing operating company that's already kind of a part of our process and operations. Um, other times we'll work with uh, leaders to partner with them on businesses that they may have found or businesses that we have just found. And, uh, and so we're actually coming you know, together with them on day one of acquisition where they're stepping in and, and running the company. And uh, and then the third piece is um, not as sort of externally focused, but we're we pay close attention to trying to develop internally the people that that we have in our existing companies to say, you know, where might there be opportunity uh, for people who haven't um, yet uh, had uh, had the chance or, or opportunity to, to level up, and, and can we help you know help paint that path a little bit for them?
0: Yeah. Let's double click on that second one, which was, uh, I guess, a searcher has found an opportunity and and brings it to you. And and so so flesh that out. That'll be interesting to the audience. So if if somebody listening has an opportunity, should they come to Saturn five? And what would that conversation and opportunity look like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we are, uh, a couple things we are and a couple things we aren't, what we are not are, we're not search fund investors, so we're not making investments into searchers who want to raise a fund and then go out and use that capital um, to search and buy a company. Um, what we are and, and what we love doing is partnering with um, searchers, so either self-funded searchers or, or um, you know, people who are out looking to buy businesses right now. and. Um, and would say, hey, if I find something, you know, that could be, it's, or within your wheelhouse that could be really attractive that I, could, um, that I could run on a day-to-day basis, if they were to ask, you know, would this be interesting to you, I'd say, absolutely. Um, and I think on their end, what's, uh, what's unique about this opportunity is there aren't a lot of, um, there are more and more of these, but, but there aren't a lot of opportunities where you can have a, a more constrained search, so let's say non-traditional you know search in terms of the type of business you're looking for or where, or where you're looking to buy them um, and and have the opportunity of both the kind of agency and autonomy of being the CEO being the the owner operator of the company uh, while also having the support and community of a group that's done this a bunch of times and um, uh-huh. And I I won't say we're we're certainly not perfect in in providing that kind of insight. and We're certainly not, um, you know, we don't have the the crystal ball. (laughs) It's It's going to be hard uh, no matter what. But um, but it's a lonely journey. And being able to have a peer group of like-minded CEOs uh, and insight on um, others who have both on the on the deal um negotiation and execution side but probably even more importantly on the operating side right after you bought these companies it's hard to um, kind of over uh, hard to overvalue just how useful that can be uh, mm-hmm. it, to
0: a, to an operator okay and for for a searcher like this, can you speak at all to the economics that you that that Saturn V might, offer for somebody who, who brings a deal your way
1: yeah so we are uh, we don't have a kind of baked structure in terms of how we work with uh, with CEOs but when we when we partner with CEOs we we work to make sure that they have uh, a meaningful stake in the company in a way that has them motivated sort of alongside us so it's a combination of you know structuring it in a way that that allows them the kind of autonomy agency and, and ultimately upside, right, that, um, that can really motivate them um, while also providing them with a, a source of capital and potentially the ability to buy a company that would be a lot larger than you
0: might be able to if you were
1: doing an SBA um, back deal, for instance. Sure,
0: sure. So you would be an alternative to an SBA loan, Saturn V?
1: Uh, yeah, that's right. Not exclusively, I, I, I would say um, uh, there's, there's lots of, I, w- I guess I won't say no in terms of like the different kinds of opportunity or never in terms of the different cap- kinds of opportunities we might look at, but, um, yeah, typically we're not, um, we're not investing alongside, um, SBA debt. Okay.
0: It, it, let Let's talk a little bit more about what, um, what an op, uh, like kind of an ideal operator, at least what you found is that, is there a typical persona that you have found Uh, that thrives as an operator of a Saturn V-held business. Um, Yeah, I'll leave it there.
1: Yeah. So I'll think about it or or I'll I'll speak to it in terms of uh, what the day-to-day experience looks like and what people have to be good at in that day-to-day experience. And then I'll speak to the sort of capacity, capabilities, competencies, um, the more kind of what is you know, what are the characteristics of of the kinds of people that that we love working with? From a day-to-day perspective, I think the the important things to know, especially for for people who are listening who are interested in search or interested in buying a small business, particularly our kind of small business, which is usually more local services-based companies, is that these are uh, very on-the-ground companies. They're usually, they can be quite seasonal, which means that you know your your time, especially in the early days, are diff- is difficult to control, right? So it's you have to kind of love being on the ground in the field, uh, on, on the factory floor. That that has to drive you in a way that um, kind of gets you excited about getting up up in you know up in the morning. Um, it's not that you don't have. I think a lot of people get into this opportunity thinking like I'll get to own my time. I'll uh, I can imagine like. You know, eventually I won't have to work at all, I'll just have this like cash, you know, this, this business that runs itself, which, you know, may be true in, in the long term, but certainly will not be true uh, when, you, when you first buy a company. And so if you don't learn how to love that kind of day-to-day experience of working with your team um, in, you know, in the field, I think things are going to be tough. So that would be the first thing I would say is um, we love working with CEOs who love working with their teams. You know, they, yeah. they, they know how to manage a team of people, often a diverse group of people, um, perhaps people that aren't you know like themselves, um, If they if, if you're looking at someone who's come out of a, you know, a top five business school, they're going be they may be working with you know a group of people that have never been to college uh, and yep. have a different you know set of um, experiences and backgrounds. And so the ability to relate to, connect with, uh, motivate, inspire uh, the, the team is a huge part of it. Um, the second piece is really it's a um, it's an ability to uh, figure out what it is that needs to be done and then go do it. you know one of the challenges of a small business is especially being the CEO of one is there's no Despite what everyone sort of might want to tell you, or what others might want to tell you, there really is no playbook, right? There's, there's not like a do this, then do that, then do that. Like in your particular business and context, you've got to figure out what's important right now, and everything will feel important, right? Be, everything will feel ex- existential because a, a lot of it, a lot of it is right. These are businesses that have you know high key man risk. They don't have a lot of systems and processes. Um, a, a lot of your work will be figuring out how to build in some of that. Um, some of that redundancy and resilience um, because, uh, because often the businesses have been successful, just purely out of the hustle, right of the, the owner operator, right the founder that was yep. there beforehand. And, um, and so your job is to then sort of in, in, engage and, and immerse yourself into that world and then figure out, how do I affect it? What do I, need to, what do I need to do right now? And then how do I begin to build the systems, the processes, um, the ways of acting and thinking that, that um, help to create repeatable growth in this company over time? Uh, and, then, and then the third thing that we look for on a more uh, maybe kind of values aligned basis or from a more characteristics perspective is we're looking for, for leaders that have a, a deep humility um, a strong sense of curiosity and um, and a strong drive so you know are you are you willing to, to be curious about the company that you're um, you're trying to understand and learn about and uh, and then uh, does that curiosity and humility drive you to to continually solve problems to figure out you know what's next to um, to have a more kind of growth mindset to what you're taking on so those are the kinds of people. If, if we've got somebody who loves being in the field, um, loves working with their team, um, can understand the sort of the system, you know, that they're operating with, and can uh, figure out what needs to be done, and then has that curiosity and and humility and um, and drive, we can uh, we can do a lot of a lot of stuff together.
0: Yeah. And have you found that there is a particular background? or otherwise, uh, other kind of persona that checks all those boxes? Or is it quite a, is it quite a, like it, many different paths might, might, um, lead to such a person?
1: I don't think there's one path. I do think there are a few things that, um, there are some benefits and drawbacks of, of different types of paths. So, uh, often, uh, or I should say that I think the two most broad ones are people who grew up in the trades, or the type of industry or business that you know, we're working with, and those who are kind of coming from outside of it. And um, you will, for those who, who have come out from the world outside, say they've gone to a business school and they got introduced to the idea of ETA, or they're sort of mid-career, they've been in kind of um, middle management at a in a big successful company for a while. Um, there will be a big learning curve as they figure out how to switch into the day-to-day operations, and, and just in terms of industry, you know, and market knowledge, um, figuring out how does this business work, how does this world work, and um, and I don't think that's a there's not a um, that person can actually be quite successful um, in in a business like the ones that that we run. Uh, but it can take a a little bit of a learning curve to figure out what it is that they don't know that they don't know. And so I think that's the, you know, the the potential benefit for them is once they've done that, once they've started to figure out how this business works, once they've had the humility and curiosity to, you know, to understand where they are, then there's huge potential. They can take their learning and their knowledge um, and their experience from other contexts and embed it and engage Within their current one, and, and so there's a lot, you know, to be done there. Um, they just have to they have to kind of persist, right? Keep at it until you can get there. The other type that I mentioned is someone who actually does grow up more in a um, kind of in the trade or in the industry, and often um, these are people who are very good at executing the task. I don't know if you've ever read this. There's a book called e Revisited," and they have this. Um, you know, this this concept of the the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. The technician is the the person who, you know, bakes the pies or, um, you know, actually does the work on the car or whatever. And the, the manager is the one who manages that person. And the entrepreneur is really the visionary and, and sort of works in on the company, not in the company. And um, the challenge for people who, who have pursued a path of um, more kind of, direct industry background and experience is they've been in the business for a long time and it's difficult for them to get outside of the day-to-day tasks and start to look up and think about what might this become? How do I build, you know, the business? How do I inspire and lead my team? Uh, you know, the dream for us is that we can find someone who has both, right? You've got some yeah. sort of industry expertise that you can lean into and you've um you you've got kind of the exposure and and um and uh, you know, growth experiences that would allow you to uh, look up and 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 build that company.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a great insight. It's kind of like the person coming from the trades is maybe like all experience, no vision. Of course, I don't mean to sound too harsh, but all experience, no vision. Whereas the person coming from the, the professional world with no trades experiences, you know, no experience at all vision, they're just going to buy this business and, you know, move pieces around on the chessboard and and have this incredible acquisition story. Um, So right. Sweet spot is if you can, you know, take the positives of of both and find that person. Um, I want to also talk about, you've, you've mentioned loneliness. uh, And this is something that has come up with my guests time and time again. And just, just in in one of the interviews that aired today, uh, my interview with Andrew Harbin that aired last week, the, one of those things that that people hear about, they they know about. They know that you know, oh, buying a small business and operating it is lonely. But like, it, you only really um, sense it when you actually do it. It's all abstract until you feel it, and then you really feel it acutely. Like it's it's um, something that really that people who do this need to get over uh, because they're they're just not used to it. So um, respond to that. Please. Uh and as a as a tack-on to that, something we discussed in the pre-call, um, I think the, the context of of we had talked about loneliness in the pre-call was would you recommend to a friend who came to you and said, I want a small business, you know, would you say, yeah, go do it, it's awesome, or would you say like pump the brakes a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think the um the answer to the to the second question is similar to my answer with with people who are Interested in doing a startup or entrepreneurship, <laughs> and, the, and the answer is don't do it. <laughs> it's, um, there, there are a lot of reasons for which it can be really uh, really interesting, really motivating. I think the, um, the challenge is to go into it eyes wide open, and often that takes a, a fair amount of sort of skepticism sort of that needs to be applied to your own self, right? around like how, how might I really experience this world once I get into it? Uh, because I know that it's um, it's going to be different in ways that I can't kind of predict or or imagine uh, right now. And, um, it, you know, it, and I think part of that, too, is like your life is going to change over the period of owning this company. As your life changes, um, you might get married. You might have a kid. You might, you know, you're going to change. You may change locations if you're looking for a, you know, national search. All those things are sort of fundamental, kind of world-shaking uh, experiences that you may come out of with a different set of values right and and those values may or may not align with you know your day-to-day experience now running this company and so um, how are you going to wrestle with that right when when you get to it is a, I think a really helpful a helpful question to ask yourself and I think one of those pieces which will be a, a through line for just about everybody is that it is a it's a lonely journey and I, I think the reasons for which it's lonely um, uh, is, or a few. One is these are usually companies that don't have um, sort of strong and uh, sustainable leadership. Yeah. Uh, the, the problems will come pretty much you know, unilaterally to you. And the decisions, the biggest ones, the company will, will need to be made ultimately by you. And, and that, um, that can feel like a burdensome task. And it doesn't have to be that way forever, right? There's a way in which you you begin to um, build yourself out of that dependency or, or um, kind of that version of key man risk. Uh, but often it is the case at the beginning. And so you just have to kind of um, my sense, both being in this position in, in previous worlds and, and working with our CEOs, is that there's a degree to which you just have to accept to your point the, the, the fact of um, of that reality that that we're here, you know, this is, this is where I am. This is going to feel lonely. And, and, um, and that's okay. You know, that's, that's where Mm -hmm. we're at. I think the other piece there is figuring out, okay, knowing that um, so much of this is just like, you don't have the right context. You don't have full knowledge. You don't have, you know, all the information or data that you want. You you definitely don't have like a, you know, somebody else to point the finger at to make the decision. Um, How can you begin to surround yourself with, um, with community uh, of people who are wrestling with the same thing, and uh, and then how can you uh, try to learn from those who have um, experienced similar things in the past, and and so I do think that combined with that sense of community combined with uh, experience, right, just doing it for a little while starts to make the um, the the feelings, right, the sort of the highs and lows of um, of that loneliness just a little less acute.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's well said. I, I want to plug something that appeared in one of the mini interviews that I aired today. Cassie Niekamp bought a fencing business, a small fencing business, knew nothing about fencing. One of the things that she's done done in the last 18 months of ownership is when she went to a fencing owner conference, she found who she considered to be successful other, you know, other fencing owners and so on. And said, "Hey, let's be in a mastermind. Let, let's let's start a mastermind." She effectively started a mastermind with these um, more experienced other fencing business owners around the country. It's just a Zoom call, and uh, it's worked wonders. And so she feels less lonely. She's learned at a much more accelerated rate, um, and it, it's just a, a wonderful hack for her in terms of her learning uh, to, to, to learn an industry that she was completely green to, as well as taking the edge off that, uh, off that loneliness. So.
1: I love that. Uh, and I, uh, yeah. I also think you, if you talk to a lot of, uh, more, um, established owner operators and the people that have been, you know, in this space for a while, the, often the, the, the kinds of people that are selling these companies, you'll notice that they built a lot of those communities for themselves, um, naturally over time they to some degree they may have gotten used to that kind of feeling experience of loneliness but they also have their buddies right they've got like their industry people that they've gotten to know and they've kind of grown up with and i think that's to be if you can start to build that early on to help accelerate your own learning it um, has a huge impact
0: yeah yeah uh, Trevor, I want to ask, circle back to one of my favorite themes coming from tech and now and doing small businesses. Um, y- you know, this this world is, uh, small businesses are also affectionately called, ironically called boring businesses uh, these days on the internet. Um, how do you find boring businesses versus doing, you know, supposedly sexy tech startup-y businesses? Do they deserve the moniker boring? Uh, or what? Respond to that.
1: I love this question, and and I used the that language in in the earlier parts of our of our interview, and I actually think it's um, it's not necessarily accurate or or helpful, and and definitely um, not appropriate depending on who you're talking to. Right? If if um, it's a it's sort of an easy thing to to distinguish yourself or to communicate when you're talking to the kind of to the people who are more familiar with TechCrunch or who are growing up in um, you know at, a, at Google or Facebook or whatever but um, these are just businesses for kind of most yeah. of us, right like the, yeah. and, and these are the businesses that have been around you know for a long time and they right. um, and they do quite well and they also um, have a lot going on. Right. Meaning that they, um, there's lots of interesting opportunities to pursue, and uh, there are lots of, you know, challenges. They are anything uh, but boring right? from a, a day-to-day experience. Yeah. And I think where they where they tend to fall, I think where the boring moniker. Uh, kind of works is when you're thinking about what tends to be attractive, you know, to people who are just trying to, um, get get into, um, either like investments, right. They're thinking like high risk, high return opportunities, right. Which can feel more, um, you know, less boring or, or, or more sexy, um, or just, uh, people who, who maybe just don't have enough context right, for, for what these businesses look like. There, I think another way to think about this sort of traditionally, maybe a, a more appropriate way to, think, to frame it, is these are often overlooked. right? Um, these are the, the type of things that a lot of um, people coming out of business school or, or middle management or, or you know doing well at a, a Google or a Facebook just wouldn't have thought to look at. That doesn't mean that there haven't been people um, looking here, playing here, and working here for a long time and, and actually doing quite well as a result hmm
0: mm-hmm. Going back to Holtcos um and, and ETA, so so there's there's kind of two opportunity paths here. There's just go doing buying one an individual, acquisition entrepreneur, buying a business, which is the vast majority of folks listening. But there are those uh those even hungrier people who who want to start a Holtco. Um and you know the idea of the the mini Berkshire Hathaway and so on is—I is, mean, it's alluring. Let's, of course, it is. Would you um, help people think about the path to to doing a hold co? If I'm an, a, a would-be acquisition entrepreneur, is it look just buy your first business first, man or woman? You know, <laughs> let's let's not get, you're not you're not Warren Buffett yet. Just buy a first business prove that you can get a deal done, prove that you can operate and grow the thing, and then we'll talk hold Or is it like, well, if you want to be a hold eventually, like don't like start figuring out how to be a hold now and you'll screw up a lot, but like better to start doing the thing that you aspire to do sooner than later. And maybe you don't need the intermediate step of actually operating the business because your goal is to not ever be an operator. Your goal is to be kind of a capital allocator and provide operating support. Um, yeah, respond to all that. I'm, I'm somebody who wants, who, who kind of has the fantasy of a hold co of small businesses, but I got, you know, I haven't done my first deal yet. What do you advise me?
1: Yep. Yeah. Great question. And I don't know if I have a direct answer. I, I think the, I'm tempted to, uh, to give the advice that is a version of what you said at the beginning, which is hold your horses. You know, go, go, let's, go, let's go do one deal and then see what happens. And I think there's definitely some wisdom to that approach. Um, I also think that uh, if you're, I think the question to ask yourself, if you're thinking about what would it look like to have a portfolio of these companies and in, in, um, a hold, holding company model, and uh, I think the, the first question is why? what is it that that attracts you um, to that idea and uh, and I think the insight that you can get from answering that question can can sometimes be pretty revealing and if it's and if it's because you just don't want to kind of engage in the day-to-day you know operations if you don't actually kind of have a, an appreciation or respect sometimes even a, a kind of a love for you know the work of these companies the day-to- day you're gonna have trouble, right? Because those problems will bubble up to you, no matter what, right? You're, you're yeah. like you're you're gonna have to wrestle with those, and yeah. uh, and then if you don't have that um, motivation, it's also connected to the day-to-day work. It's going to be difficult for you to see, you know, the rest of what you want right? when you're thinking about why you wanna why you wanna have this. Um, so I think there's a lot that you can learn from just asking yourself, you know, what is it about this Hoka model that is attractive to me? What is it that I really want to get out of it? What do I imagine myself loving? What do I imagine myself regretting? Yeah. Um, and then the the second piece I would say is to begin to ask yourself. You can hear my uh, my little three year old in the background, so hopefully that's not too, <laughs> too distracting. That's
0: fine. That's um, We are we are not cutting that. I love
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the second thing is you have to ask yourself, um, what is it that I need to be good at when I think about uh, having a whole co-model, right? What do, what do I have to be uh, excellent at in this particular model? And do I have the capacity, capability to execute on those things now? And if not, what do I need to be doing to develop them? And I think that's a good question to ask, and, and I think it, it probably is distinct from operating uh, one company, and it may be—it's—it's it's definitely related to you, but it may also be distinct from buying one company. Right? There are other kinds of competencies you've got to figure out right? um, and get right, and uh, and thinking about those, how you know how they're going to be funded, what your your um, growth path will be, uh, what will it look like to do not just you know one deal over a period of time, but multiple. Do you want to focus on uh, single industry or or, or do you want to be industry agnostic? You know, all those all those questions can be helpful to at least wrestle with now, not to figure out, because you're you're you could spend a lot of time designing a system that will work for uh, nothing except for you know what what happens in your mind. Uh, but but to to try to at least develop some assumptions around what you might need to go test or or develop now. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Trevor, I want to start wrapping up. Um, but I, I, I got to ask, and I, and I mean this with all respect, uh, Chenmark is a buy and hold small businesses well-known name in this world. Permanent equity, Brent Beshore, is very well-known in this world and outside this world. And um, it's brought a lot of attention to the world. Saturn V, you guys have done 15 acquisitions in, in a relatively short amount of time. And, and it took you posting me happening upon your post on SearchFunder for me to... to to learn about Saturn five. So um, have I just been living under a rock or have you guys been, been quiet or uh, you know, you, you, you seem like you're really, really active, but I'm only now hearing about you. Who whose fault is that mine or yours?
1: <laughs> that is, that is our fault for sure. Uh, we have been uh, heads down uh, focusing on on our companies. And I think the, the big thing for us is let's figure out how to operate well, you know, how to do the work well. And we haven't spent a lot of attention um, kind of looking up. We we know and respect um, all those people that you mentioned and um, and have a great amount of um, admiration for, for the people who are doing really meaningful work here. Um, so we could probably stand to spend more time engaging um, in the community and and uh, and one of one of the things we've got on our minds um, in the coming months and years is to do more of that especially as we think about how do we build a more um, meaningful pipeline of talent and operators that we can use to engage um, in our company. So our hope is to begin to do more of that um, as the as, as the months and years come and uh and yeah, play see, see what we can do to kind of listen to and 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 speak into the, the growing community that's here already.
0: Let's end with just a couple kind of um, thoughts about the future, Trevor. First, macroeconomic client climate. Can you just you know respond to that, or you know what's that doing? Is are multiples coming down, and you know is is this is this good or bad for acquisition entrepreneurs? So it, it weigh in what you guys are feeling about that, and then secondly. Just respond to this. Like, you guys must be pretty excited. I mean, you've done fifteen acquisitions. You know, you you've probably some of the hardest kind of operating figuring this out is kind of behind you. Presumably, you've got kind of a lot of dry powder. You've got this great track record so far, and we've still got another ten years of baby boomers retiring. Like, from where I'm sitting, you know, you guys are you guys are pretty psyched about what you know where you're at for for the next decade. So um, as, as a last question, respond to that. But first, please, w- what do you think about the, the, this impending recession?
1: Yeah, we're thinking a lot about the macroeconomic dynamics and what it might do to um, the companies we're currently operating, um, how that might change the operating environment, and then what it might look like for new acquisitions. And, um, and, I, and I think that a lot of things are, are going to be happening you know, over the next um several months as the result of that some of which will be good some of which will be challenging and and i think the the key thing is to focus on what's within our control right? and just to kind of keep our our focus narrowly on those um and, and maybe you know care a little bit less about what's what's exogenous to us and um, you know on the on the deal side i i think this is um it, it, this is not, I'm, I'm giving advice that um, someone else on our team was was saying earlier, but I think generally what you'll see is, um, you know, as as the economy, um, as the, if and as the economy doesn't do well, you're going to see um, a lot of businesses that were sellable in a uh, low interest, you know, high growth economy that just aren't sellable anymore, right? They're just going to be less um, less buyers for that, and so I think... For those who are sort of interested in waiting in those territories, like they, they probably could get something for a pretty cheap deal. Whether or not that deal's worth buying is a different question. Uh, I think there's um, there's going to be great companies um, that are that are going to be coming into the market um, as there always is, and I think for those, um, they they tend to be kind of resistant to individual market dynamics and so I don't think you'd see a lot of movement there in tr- just in terms of price uh, because of mm. when you have sort of deep you know value um fundamental value right in, in those companies that I think you tend to see maybe there's some movement but I think they'll probably trade pretty close to where they're trading um on a on a typical business uh, or a typical I guess when you think about today or or in the past um mm-hmm. but I also think you know there's it's it um it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting. I think we'll see. Um, there's different kinds of, you know, debt. Debt will be a factor, but I don't know if it's gonna be for us anyway. Like maybe if you're, if you're, um, for people who are buying kind of highly leveraged companies, it has a much bigger impact in terms of you know right. what it takes um, to. So, so I, w- I would be thinking about it a lot if I'm, you know, if I'm trying to do an eighty percent. You know, SBA, yeah, SBA. Um, SBA funded deal um, because it. I would look at my assumptions and try to figure out. You know, if I'm wrong, right? When when do things go bad and and how bad do they do they get? Um, I think speaking sort of shifting gears and speaking to the operating world a little bit. Um, this is a great time to focus on building up um, your balance sheet um, or paying down debt. Uh, this is you know a, a good time to be. Um, thinking through who are the people that you really, you know, value and care about and how do you make sure you're investing in those and, and protecting that, that you can keep them um, through a you know through a hard season. And I think it's good just to do some kind of high level scenario planning. Just to say like, what if we you know if we're twenty five percent down in revenue this year, what happens? If we're fifty yeah. percent down, what happens? You know, what what can yeah. I do? What what what's available to me in those scenarios? Yeah.
0: To long your long term.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. To your second question around uh, long term, I, I am, uh, I, and and we're we're quite bullish on the opportunity. Uh, long term, I do think there are sort of fundamental dynamics that are still at play. Like you said, there's still a lot of companies that um, this this generational shift is still happening. Uh, I think that um, there's been more energy into this space, and I think that's overall is a good thing. It creates um, Creates some competition, but it also creates some more support uh, for people who are interested in, in um, you know, engaging in this world, and um, and I think the work and the task is to is to execute well, to you know, to build a, a good reputation, no matter where you are in, in your journey, and and uh, I think if you can do those those two things, you're going to see some. My hope is that you know, we'll all see some um, some meaningful impact.
0: Great. Well, let's leave it there, Trevor. This has been really, really great to hear about what Saturn V is up to. I, I'm, I'm so glad to be bringing some some attention to to you guys. Uh, really impressive uh, holdco that I was unaware of until just a couple months ago. So eager to have you back on and hear how things are going in another 12 months or so. Thanks for very much for coming on.
1: Well, this has been a ton of fun. Thanks for having me.